The OMTG Taps is brought to you by StarCityGames.com. Scars of Mirrodin is coming soon, and StarCityGames.com is your source for boxes, cases, fat packs, intro packs, complete sets, and singles. Head on over to StarCityGames.com and pre-order Scars of Mirrodin today. Hey everybody, and welcome to episode 39 of Yo MTG Taps. This is Joey Pasco. This week, Big Head Joe and I spent the weekend at the Star City Games Open Series in Baltimore, our hometown, and while we didn't play in the events ourselves, we spent some time with several people who did, including standard finalist Connor Moran of O2Drop.com, who gives us some insight into his experiences on Saturday. We're also joined by returning guest Adam Stiborski for a quick chat about Scars of Mirrodin, and I talked to artist Hannah Murray, who was at the event doing some impressive card art alterations. Let's rock! This is Joey Pasco here with Big Head Joe at the uh, Star City Games Open Series Baltimore. Proud to have uh, have Star City actually in our city, so that's pretty cool. Um, we're here with Connor Moran, Eric Navarro, and Adam Staborski. Um, so I guess first, uh, congratulations to Connor for making the finals of the uh, the standard portion of the uh, of the event. I think it's the first golf clap we've ever done on the podcast. It might be right. So congratulations to us for the first golf clap. <laughs> Very good. So, um, so Connor, you want to talk a little bit about your uh, your experience in in the tournament in general, uh, and then as you got into the top eight, um, you were playing Mythic, right? Yeah, just, uh, I, I just uh, net deck the uh, build off of um, the Nationals first place build by Josh Utterly, and I guess I should <laughs> give some credit there. And then uh, I didn't have the cards, but uh, it was Yom Kippur, which is a Jewish uh, highest holy holiday, and be- Benjamin Friedman. Uh, he could not attend the tournament. Um, I decided to be a bad Jewish person and uh, attend the tournament, but I fasted um, during the tournament. Was and that deliberate, that fast? Uh, I usually don't eat when I play Magic for really? some reason. So it just makes me feel uncomfortable. But um, no, but I mean, I, so I was. Uh, I took. I borrowed his Mythic Conscription deck, uh, changed it to the uh, Nationals build, which was was like off by like you know, three cards or whatever, mm-hmm. which I'm sure were personal taste and. I honestly didn't want to change anything from that build because I really haven't tested the deck too much um, leading up to the tournament. We play, I played some games with Eric over here. Uh, we played we play tested for probably like a couple days. Um, and uh, pretty much I just wanted to stay safe and go with whatever works. Connor, tell them what you were going to play a couple days before. Oh, I wasn't... I don't know if I was going to play this. What happened was I was like, Soul Sister seems really cool. There's a lot of synergy there. The deck seems fun. And, and then and, what happened? And then we played the blue-white matchup, and I realized, like, I realized that I was... That's the matchup. Like, we played Jun, too, and Jun was, like, you know, crazy good, and it was, like, red was crazy good. Like, the, the cards just do the right thing, especially Brave the Elements and main deck core firewalkers but, but when I, once I played against blue white I, I had an epiphany where I was like wait a second I'm running 12 one mana one ones and 8 two mana two twos and that just seemed so bad and we, I tried everything I tried to put like crystal ball crystal in there for, ball. That was that, 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 once, once I started resolving that thing like I was going off like with Elspeth crystal ball or whatever in the main deck and I still lost so I don't know 
<laughs> it was horrible. So then I, so then I decided. I mean, I was thinking about what would be good uh, for this particular metagame. I really didn't anticipate a lot of red deck, mm-hmm. which I think is a good matchup for. Um, they have a good matchup against um, Mythic, mm-hmm. and so I was glad to not really have to play against red deck wins. Although I'm sure if some people played it, um, I, I don't think that um, I would want to play against that uh, if I was playing Mythic. So uh, the lack of red deck wins made it pretty clear, and uh, just the results that it's been putting up lately, I just decided it was the best choice. And it ended up being a mirror match in the finals, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so, uh, I think it's interesting that after all of the, oh my god, John is ridiculous, that Bant ends up being the dominant color here at the end of Alara's reign in standard, right? I just, I just thought that was interesting. I was thinking about that this morning. Um, but obviously, I think it really has a lot to do with just Eldrazi conscription being... I mean, obviously, Sovereigns, too. But Sovereigns was nothing. You know, n- nobody gave a crap about crap Sovereigns. Right. Well, it, was really, it was really... I think what actually impacted... Um, in, what impacted um, the ability for Mythic to do really well at this tournament was um, the rise and f- sort of mild fall of blue-white control because the, um, and also the printing of Obstinate Bailoth. Because what Obstinate Bailoth did is it gave decks like Naya and Jund a much better sh- outside shot at beating the red decks that were prior to that a really horrible matchup. Mm-hmm. And now they have this like you know this one key card that they can go removal, removal, Bailoth. And then all of a sudden red can't win. And so I think red players shied away a lot, and then blue-white players were kind of dropping also. So that kind of led to Mythic Conscription being some pretty sick uh, matchups. We're apparently in Jurassic Park right now, because, uh, and that's the second consecutive Jurassic Park reference on our podcast, because last week we talked about Jurassic Park. There's like uh, all it kinds like of... the animatronic Jurassic Park ride yeah. or something. <laughs> exactly. So uh, sorry, if, I don't know how much that's picking up, so... Uh, <laughs> Should you want to move... We can we can move. Uh, downstairs, maybe. Like okay, sounds good. Terastodon in the room over there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, so uh, so you were talking about why Mythic was probably a good choice for the tournament. So uh, it was ten rounds, right? And uh, plus top eight. What kind of uh, I guess what was the metagame breakdown as far as you saw it? Um. Well, I drew the last two rounds, but um, the first eight rounds <laughs> there was uh, so many rounds. Like I don't know, it's hard to remember, but um. I know I played against Naya, I think, three times, mm-hmm. and um, a lot of the success, I think 99.9% of the success that I had um, against Naya was casting Linvala. Like, honestly, like, that deck, like, just randomly loses to Linvala the way that the non-Fauna Shaman build previously, before M10, used to lose to Baneslayer. Like, it's just kind of the same thing. Like, they, right. like, they just get locked out. Like, a lot of the time, they can't even get the mana they need to even get out of it, and um, it shuts down Spark Mage, it shuts down everything, and uh, the Explorers helped me do that, because um, there was there was times where uh, ex- for I would be able to go turn 2, explore, into turn 3 Linvala, and they couldn't Spark Mage me out of the game. Yeah, so Linvala, before the tournament, when we, uh, we were just hanging out beforehand, before the standard portion started, and... I don't know how many people came up to us, including Sam Black, asking for Linvalas, um, you know, just trying to, to get them. Apparently they were sold out of the booth. Uh, I guess it's specifically for things like Naya and Mythic. Um, 
How does how do you, does Mythic it's, fare against Linvala itself? Linvala uh, is a beating. Like I yeah. lost, I've lost games. There, I think there was video coverage of me losing games to Linvala when I even had the Sovereigns in my hand. It's just so much harder to go off. The only that makes it your only mana, your main major mana source, uh, Lotus Cobra, and then sometimes you just don't. You know, you, you need to get the fetch land. It's just like I don't know. It's a typical Mythic crapshoot. Yeah, <laughs> um, and, although worse because you can't actually. You know, you can't use your other. Uh, your other creatures, you know. Yeah, it's rough. It's definitely rough. I mean, it's it's a sick card in the mirror match. It's a sick card against Naya. Like, any kind of, like, Noble Hierarch strategies, typically, Linvala just shuts them out. Um, so it's kind of funny, because each each deck, I think, probably runs four Linvalas in their sideboard if they're mm-hmm. playing white at this point. Yeah. And, um... It seems like, doesn't seem like such a bad idea, really. No, and it's crazy, because there's Linvalas killing Linvalas all the time, because they're legendary. Yeah. And so, like, I was burning through, like, Linvala after Linvala in certain, like, you know, mirror match situations, and we were both, like, I don't know. It was just, he got, one time, I think one of my opponents got uh, my conscriptive Linvala with his Linvala, and then there was, like, I don't <laughs> even know. It sounds, it reminds me of, like, Umazawa's Jite, like... Yeah, Umazawa. no, it, in this format, like, that card is certainly, like, Umazawa's Jite, yeah, luckily. Well, I don't know. It's it's all going to change, or it's likely to change. Yeah, that's the now big that like not <laughs> yeah, Naya and Mythic aren't going to be around. I mean, this is this yeah. is like the last major tournament for Alara block. Mm-hmm. You know, for standard. So uh, so Linvala. You know, as much as you almost want to be like, get your Linvalas, it's like yeah. maybe. <laughs> so what were you going to say? But that's exactly what I was going to say. Is yeah. like. It's like, I feel like, you know, covering this tournament is, all, it's like in our backyard, it's like so awesome that we have a Star City Games open here, but then at the same time, it's like, I mean, like, what are we covering? I mean, like, it's like, right. we can't really say, oh, get your Linvalas, because right. like... It's like, get them for F&M this week, and yeah. that's it. I mean, they might be good. Who they knows what they kind of stuff. Up. Right, it's just not really any reason for them that they might even go down if there's so not it's, anything it's to shut down. So that's definitely a weight type of card for sure. Exactly, it's just funny. Just see what like, happens. Yeah, yeah. So you played Naya multiple times. What were the, some of the other matchups that you uh, you had? Uh, I played against the Mirror match a total of I think four times. Wow. Um, so that and you're, are you including top eight? Yes. Okay. And I think I mean I have to say like the, I definitely got lucky in a lot of situations. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I made I think I made weird sideboarding choices in a bunch of matchups, probably from my probably from my lack of um, I guess I was trying to I don't have a ton of experience with mythic so I really had to use my own intuition in a lot of situations right which actually I think every time I actually liked it yeah I, I liked my choices um, people I think were surprised that I ran spell pierce in the sideboard for some of the mythic mirror matches that I played against. Yeah, I saw that in the coverage where you spell pierced something. I, I, I didn't always, get a chance to I watch. I always had the... it. I always had a target. Like I don't know. Like I was hitting his Jace with it. Like <laughs> it was really good. And I knew he ran finest hour too, so I really saw no reason not to try to sneak in some spell pierces. And it turned out that um, I mean, sometimes people keep in their Elspeths too. So I mean, all day like against the mirror match, my spell pierces were relevant. That's awesome. Um, so Naya, Mythic, any other decks? Did you did you play Jund at all? I played against uh, Jund Blue one White. time in the top four. Okay. So um, also just to go back to the Mythic thing, you have to get pretty lucky on Mulligan very aggressively in order yeah. to win the mirror matches. Like it's definitely not a hundred percent skill at all. Okay. Um, I don't. Yes. Think, I don't sometimes think, you draw your Eldrazi conscription. A lot of my matchups. <laughs> a lot of my matchups did come down to luck. I think. Yeah. Um, just to you know, just to point that out. Right. Well, I mean. 
uh, if, if any of you have read the coverage um, or, or watched it, from what it looks like in the finals, you took game one, right? And uh, game two, I can't remember what happened game two, but he obviously won. Um, he just kind of overwhelmed you, was able to... Uh, he had Limbaugh. <laughs> okay. okay. Um, I got stuck with the Sovereigns in my hand because I always have it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was another thing. Connor somehow has described his hand as having a magnet for Sovereigns. Uh, I don't even know. I don't even know why, but for some reason yesterday, just I was I was drawing very nicely. Yeah, I I really can I I can point that out, and like I don't really feel like I got you know I don't I don't I'm not gonna say that he, you know he top decked me and all that other mm-hmm. stuff. I mean he played to his out. I don't think you know I don't think I would call it a cold shot like a lot of people do. It's like when right. that one guy at the Wait. pro tour called shotted his cruel ultimatum. Right, I don't, think, I don't right. think pointing out your outs is a cold shot. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's just saying this is my only out or this is one of my only outs and I need right. to draw it, you know. But at the same time, I'm not taking that away or anything from him. It's just I just – because I, I really do think that, like, you know, uh, at the beginning of the match, we both knew it could go either way mm-hmm. at any point in the game, the way that the Mythic Mirror match works. And uh, Ali's a really cool guy. He was uh, really fun to play against. Right, this is Ali Aintrazi who yeah. ended up winning the event and uh, – and for those of you who don't know, one, what was it, were you about to win, like, the next turn? Is that, because I think he I mean, said was, his only yeah, out was yeah, Finest I, Hour. I was, and I was forcing, I got him down to one and was, I had a lot of pressure. I, I probably could have made a better play at the last turn. I was exhausted, but the way I saw it was if I could, you know, force through um, more pressure mm-hmm. and reduce his outs, that that would be better than doing something different. But, uh... So yeah, I mean he uh, he got exact lethal damage on a top decked uh, finest hour. I right. was just hoping that he just you know drew yeah. a blank land or something. Yeah, something irrelevant. So, uh, but I mean, congratulations anyway, making the finals. It's pretty exciting. So that's yeah, that's is that uh, the second O2 drop guy to make top eight of uh, of a Star City event or? Uh, I know Cause, Dave. Cause I Dave, know Dave did. I'm sure that I think oh Kurt Kurt, Kurt, Kurt yeah, the uh, legacy event right wasn't yeah. it? Uh, Kurt, yeah, Kurt Spies also uh, top eight. What was what, that? Was the um, I don't know what one it was, but it was <laughs> he top eighted one of the legacy ones. So you yeah, guys are doing pretty well. Actually, I feel bad. I don't really know a lot about um, most of the. I mean, I watched them online a little bit, but mm-hmm. um, this is my first time coming to a Star City 5K. Okay, uh, that's from their open series. I haven't been able to attend any of the other ones. To speak about John, like I only played against it one time, and that was in the top four. I was kind of surprised that I hadn't played against it, and I was kind of actually grateful because I almost wanted to get those kinds of like Naya matchups, um, and like kind of like the less the less interactive matchups. So, and you went undefeated through round one through eight, right? And then nine right. and ten, you were yeah. able to draw into top I, eight. I played against uh, one blue white, I think, <laughs> three mythics, maybe three Nayas, and. Um, what else did I play against? Uh, it was a long day. No red deck. No red deck. I, I, I specifically thought in my head that I would not play against red deck, which is kind of weird because my sideboard had the four Celestial Purges and two Bayloths. <laughs> but those were more for Jund, and honestly, I, I, I didn't want to be completely unprepared, and I didn't also mainly just did not want to change his deck list. I, did, I would not change right. the deck list. So right, well, if you don't have experience with the deck and... I'm not going to think that I know anything about it. Right. So uh, you just got back from Amsterdam, right? Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> How did you do there? Apparently not well enough oh, to, I, sh- to yeah, show. Yeah, I, uh, I I played uh, the dredge deck. I don't. I mean, uh, extended's kind of weird, um, yeah. and not a lot of people really are interested in it at this point until the next PTQ season um, mm-hmm. after the sealed one. But um, it ba- it was like basically a time spiral deck, pretty much yeah. like with with cards that you know it used bridge from below, Narc Amoeba, 
uh, Dread Return, and you would try to get turn, you know, the, the ideal best draw is turn two or three, Dread Return for Iona. Sounds pretty good. And you just get tokens, and I mean, and you had blood gas too. And so, what color would you name if you, they had like you know two lands? You just got to go by I mean, whatever. Same thing as type two. You generally know what deck they're playing by the first or second turn. Yeah. Like a lot of the time, because. Right. You, I mean, some opening on a noble hierarch is either mythic right. or, or naya, right? Right. Um, or next level bant, but same colors anyway. So just um, don't name black, basically. Exactly. <laughs> but but there was a potential god draw of turn one Iona, and I told people I don't think I would even do it because I you literally would have no idea what to name. Yeah, that's a good point. Like I can do the turn one Iona, <laughs> like, but I'm on the play. <laughs> it's like island island tome scour, and then you'd mill five cards, and it would be four Narc- or it would be a three Narcomiba Dread Return and the Iona. Yeah, and th- but this was your first pro tour. Oh, this is my first pro tour. I wasn't. I can't say that I was like extremely nervous. I was a little bit nervous, but mostly I think it was a general unfamiliarity with the deck. Number one, number two. I think if I had tested it more, I might not have decided to run it because it's a little bit swingy. Mm-hmm. So real quick, um, we're, we've been seeing a lot of scar spoilers, and I want to get. Uh, Adam and Connor's opinion. Have you have you seen any of the I've scar seen spoilers? Some of them, you know me though. Like, yeah, you're really like, I hate magic cards. These cards <laughs> are terrible. <laughs> no, I just, I yeah, that's kind of how I am. I guess a lot of the time when it comes to spoilers. Like, have you seen Have you I seen any that you like? Were good. I still, I mean, I, I mean, Titans are <laughs> fine, but like I, as I said, I didn't like any of them except for <laughs> I knew like Primeval Titan would be played as Valakut or something. I didn't really think that there would be ramp decks based around it. Um, I I knew Sun Titan would be good though. Um, but I really didn't, didn't like the Titans series just because I felt like they were so expensive. And I'm like, why am I not just playing Mythic with Sovereigns and Lost Alara? Right. And stuff like that. So, I mean, like, at the same time, like, I don't know. I mean, I definitely do hate on a lot of cards. <laughs> yeah. Well, have, have you seen or have you seen anything that jumps out at you as being good? I, like, I mean, the Planeswalkers. I like you know. that Poison Dragon. What is that thing? Uh, the, uh, Skitherix. Yeah. I think that card's nice. Yeah, it's really I, I like powerful. that too. I mean, it can end the game in, in two swings if you've gotten, like, any infect. I'm calling this right now, also. Mm-hmm. I think that Poison and Vines of the Vastwood is going to be sick. Yeah, I, I kind of think the Infect deck, I mean, depending, I I unless know, there's yeah. a, a white card that's like, you know, remove Poison counters or oh, something. Man, poison and Vines of the Vastwood. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. They try to kill your Hell, Skitherix, yeah, and that's you just, high like, fire. you just yeah. shroud it up and kill them or something. I don't even yeah, know if you just, can, but... I mean, but it, it's ridiculous. It's a, like, lot, it's a lot of poison. Wow. Black, green. Wait, it's new Jund. Infect Jund. Right, we just gotta... We, we need some, like, you know, oh, we'll play some... Well, Lightning Bolt's pointless because it's just removal at that point if you're playing Infect. Yeah. Right. I don't know. I don't know. That could be. I'm just I'm just saying that's a very powerful <clears throat> interaction. Um, yeah. Koth is definitely going to be played in red decks. I'm 100%. Oh, yeah. Well, he's not going to be played in anything but well, I mean, red I decks. I mean, red right? deck wins. Like, I think, I think Devastating Red will be around. I'm... I'm probably going to sleep that up, try yeah. it out, unless blue-white control is heavily played, which is usually a bad matchup, but Koth just makes that deck so much better. Yeah, that's the that's what I was saying to Joe yesterday, like, looking at all the Scars cards, I basically want to play, like, something like Devastating Red with Koth, and or blue-white control, which is obviously no surprise. Yeah, there, you know? I, think, I think three of the best interactions that we have right now without knowing what the most of the cards are mm-hmm. is probably red deck win the devastating red deck mm-hmm. with um cough in it uh i mean that just seems so powerful um then also um there's the blue white control which is just obviously there's going to yeah. be a way to build it right and, it doesn't lose and then very i think much. another really powerful card that people should look out for is aldrazi monument 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I that think card, so too. That card is disgusting. And it's an artifact. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, helps with any metal craft metal kind craft. of interactions or just anything to do with artifacts. But at the same time, the more artifacts around, the more artifact hate. So it almost has a increased vulnerability as well. I keep thinking of, like, there's this book called Conversations with God or something, and I keep thinking, uh, getting it confused with Tuesdays with Maury, so I was just thinking of Conversations with Moran. It would be an awesome Mitch Albom book. <laughs> oh, no. No, it's, it's just funny, though, because, like, I don't know, once I, I, I start out with these things, like, really shy, and then once I start talking, I just can't stop talking. <laughs> really That's weird. all good. <laughs> I think it was be- uh, easier for me to talk about it, mostly because most of the preparation I do uh, for tor- for Type 2 tournaments and other formats is also just to, like, really get a feel for the metagame and really understand what decks are going to be popular this week and what decks are going to decline in popularity and see w- which deck fits in as the as the deck that beats all the decks that are going to be at the top tables. Right, and I think that's probably one of the best things to be able to do one of the most important things to be able to do is predicting a metagame. Yeah, it's a math. It's, it's a math game. It's like right. it's really. I think that's the, like. I don't think you can. I mean, I think most people at this point are very competent Magic players. I don't think that there's anyone that's like very bad mm-hmm. anymore. Like there used to be. Like I think there's like a lot of more knowledge this pat going around on the internet. There's like people are testing more. Um, there's a lot more coverage, so people know what they're doing, and they know what they're doing with good decks because you can't really butcher a tier one deck too badly. Yeah, I'm I'm still pretty bad. But That's like, okay. No, you're fine. You're fine. <laughs> and then, so I mean, like, I mean, I realized that I could, I could definitely, like, I'm not, I'm not incredible. Like, you know, I definitely probably play at, you know, an average skill level. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the thing is, though, if I can give myself the optimal amount of percentages in every matchup, if I can have positive matchups all day, I'll probably, I'll probably top eight. That's, uh, I mean, that's interesting way to look at it, I, and I think. It- Predicting the metagame is actually probably the, a big part of that. It, if you can show up with a good deck, I, with the right deck, because I think everybody shows up with a good deck. That's almost what you were right. just saying. Like, it's, just take something off the internet, and you probably have a good deck. It, with a little bit of luck and just competent uh, play, you can do pretty well. Yeah, I think that's 100% the reason that I won that PTQ. <clears throat> also, like, I played Jun like eight times or something bef- before. I think it was before <clears throat> Baylots too, and. Um, I was playing Red Deck Wins with Quenchable Fires and the sideboard. Right, now, yeah, we, we had you back on episode 29, and you were talking right. about that, how you'd and played Red Deck Wins and just ended up playing Jund. I played against Jund, Mythic, and Dredgevine all day. Like, one Dredgevine, but, like, I, all, I, all day I just played insanely good matchups. Yeah. And that's, I feel like that's, that's how it works. I guess on that note, we'll, uh, we'll wrap this part of the, the podcast <laughs> up here. We're going to talk to Adam a little bit. Well, I'm still I'm still waiting for like the uh, the GI Joe thing. You know, the more you know, knowing is half the battle. Like I feel like that's just the whole summary right there. <laughs> knowing is half the battle. That's a good call. Yeah. So, so the other half is action. I've been saying that for a very long time. They don't say it in the show, but knowing is half the battle. And the other half is acting on the knowledge that you have. That's a deep. <laughs> oh my god. All right, we're back. Uh, even though we didn't move, we're here with Adam Staborski. Um, writer for many websites. The one that we are contractually allowed to mention is uh, Daily MTG. I'm just kidding. Uh, he's a writer for DailyMTG.com and for Manonation.com. And he also writes for himself. ThePopperCube.wordpress.com. For real. 
And um, I have a good story. So today, um, was can it today I, that I you made it? Can I set it up? Yeah, sure. Yeah, so um, I, I'm really quiet when uh, um, you know all the tournament stuff's discussed because I, I don't do tournaments. Um, I kind of follow along. I, I, I get what's going on. I did coverage in Nationals. I got to see Mythic and Ocho uh, run the Dredgevine build. Um, you know, really great decks are really cool to watch. But um, so I, I basically came to to like work at trading and find cards that I need and you know have fun. I played a lot of EDH and played some cube and stack and stuff like that. So I had a lot of fun. It's it's you know if you're not coming to compete, big events are always just a great place to hang out and, and live, breathe, eat magic. Um, don't eat the cards; they're probably not healthy. Um, I've eaten a card before. Yeah, so it's so I traded a whole bunch on Saturday, and we come back Sunday, and I'm waiting on Joe, so I'm still trading, and I end up completely trading everything I possibly have, like everything that I have in my trade binder, everything that I'll possibly part with, I trade away because I end up getting you know some dual lands that I need. You know, it's kind of hard to get them. Apparently, they're not exactly um, you know uh, you don't open packs anymore and get them. So I have absolutely nothing. So I'm like, okay, it's noon. I need stuff to trade. So I go buy a box of M11. And uh, open it up and just pull out stuff. And of course, I get Inferno Titan and Platinum Angel and Demon oh, of Death's Gate. And yeah, say, don't forget the Demon of Death's Gate. That's oh, yeah. important. Yeah, that's a really, really awesome one to open for trading. So Joe helps me sort the box out, and we and we um, we're about, I'm starting to open the box, and um, I'm not having any luck opening stuff. So I'll let Joe go from here. Yeah. So he, so he says he's like, man, he's like, this sucks. He yells over to me, he's like, Platinum Angel, Demon at Death's Gate, and I go, I'm like, don't worry about it. I'm like, I'm like, here, I grab a pack. I'm like, I'll open you a Fauna Shaman. Don't worry about it. So I like <laughs> rip open one pack. Fauna Shaman. <laughs> yeah, I, I, because I, I just opened so many Fauna Shamans in packs. You know it. I, yeah. I like uh, prize packs. I open about a Fauna Shaman a week, like out of packs. And like, I didn't open one on Friday, but uh, but it's just my luck. It's just what I do. I open Fauna Shamans in packs you were of M11. Due one, you didn't open one on Friday, so you were due to open exactly. one. Exactly. I hadn't were... opened one in like a week. It was like, I was starting to like get the odds. You know, you were like, there's one card left in my deck, and I've only drawn three of my Fauna Shamans, so obviously this is the fourth. It's not that impressive, Joe. Really. Fair enough. So, <laughs> so yeah. So I totally uh, mized him a fauna shaman to get him back on his feet with his box. Uh, so it was a good time. Um, so uh, we wanted to talk briefly about your blog. I just I just mentioned it. That's kind of what I wanted to do. I'm, I'm right. I'm reviewing commons one per day every day, and uh, just talking about them in terms of a little bit in limited play. Um, often just to uh, talk about how that can translate to popper cubes because popper um true popper cubes all commons um at least the way that i that i that i built mine um reflect a very strong limited environment so if you really like playing limited and good removal good creatures uh you know tempo decision making um you know that's the kind of environment i'm i'm pushing to build with my um to to really finish out and 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 make work in my cube so something that that i really like to talk about and i felt like it's good to to get out there and, and kind of exercise something a little different that's unique so you you said you uh, can you can talk about some of the spoilers, right? Anything that's on um, Daily MTGA and the visual spoiler. So I mean, there's, there's a couple. Yeah, anything that, anything that's you know that that has been previewed, you know, officially is what you know is what I know of. You know, that's what I'm going to talk about. Right on. So there was uh, one card in particular that you've been, uh, you know. Uh, kind of hyping up to me, anyways. You've been uh, kind of singing the praises of, and that card is. I think it's uh, uh, Quicksilver Gargantuan, right? That's what it was, yeah, because it's awesome, because it's still a 7-7. Seven, seven. I mean, like, that's really big. That's so way bigger. What is it? What is it? It's way bigger than a, uh, than a Sun Titan. 
It's um, it's basically a clone that costs five and double blue, and it it clones except its power and toughness is set to seven. So um, you know, and the only time it overrides is when there's um, you know, a characteristic setting effect that overrides that. But it's basically anything that that's small and really annoying, like I don't know, like creatures with shadow, or um, you know, creatures like like um, Child of Night. Like if you copy something like that, it's basically it's like making your own Bane Slayer in a way. It's just really big and can take over a game. I like it. I don't think it's constructed necessarily. I think that's pretty much the consensus. But for EDH, for like any deck that's running like a blue ramp, like it basically whatever your opponent has, you basically get a better version of. And I think that that's that's the kind of thing that that it's easy to forget about is you don't have to have the good creature. If your opponent does, you get one better. What's the casting cost? It's a two blue and five. That's, okay, so seven, seven for a seven, seven. So like, yeah. right? Vanilla test, but it gets uh, it, it gets abilities elsewhere, basically. Right. The card I was actually talking about was Koth of the Hammer. Oh yeah, <laughs> Koth of the Hammer. Um, I, I really like it. I, I I think I basically agree with everybody. I'm on the I'm on the Koth is awesome bandwagon. Um, you know, except for maybe Vintage. Uh, I can totally see it in just about. Every deck. Um, one of my buddies is. Um, last time I checked, he was X two, with a mono red deck in Legacy. Like straight up, you know, every every awesome burn spell, you know, fire blast, chain lightning, bolt, just four ups, and you know, Koth slides right in there. You know, if if they're not, um, you know, if you're not prepared for it, I think it's I think it's something that will sneak into um, a deck that you may not expect it in because if you splash very lightly for green um, to get some a little bit more answers and reach. You know, you have more little control build or you use them to ramp into something like a bane fire or something else that's really hard to, to answer. Um, you know, it's... I, I think it has more uses than just mono red. I, I think it, it has a little bit more reach and I think that um, when we get a chance to really explore some of the abilities and interactions that he opens up um, I think we'll be surprised with what he can do. And Eric has showed up. Hi Eric, would you like to say stuff? I would love to say stuff. Uh, I'm a coward, and I took the coward's way out when me and my round nine opponent realized we could draw into top 32, potentially top 16. So I'm a coward, and I'm going home with money. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Good job. Now you can just chill, right? I mean, if you're, if you're, if you're a chance you just for like, top 16, get some money. Chance, then, then. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was really good, but when 100... The truth is, I'm playing fish. And when I sit down across from someone, we don't know each other's decks, and it's a coin flip. Other, if it's if it's zoo, I'm gonna lose a hundred, or I'm gonna lose fifty bucks to a hundred bucks. If it's not, I have a decent shot. And turns out, he told me later on that he was playing uh, countertop. My entire walk away from there was, damn, I should have beat him. <laughs> like, this is such a good matchup. Yeah. Well, yeah, you get some money either way, so it's not bad. Tendy said he was playing zoo. Yeah, good call. Good call. All right, so let's get back to the business of getting down. Uh, we, we wanted to talk briefly about the... Um, there was a theft incident today at, um, at the Open. Yeah. Um, there was a gentleman who's been running around trading all day. Um, you know, he's a, he's a nice guy. Um, he's definitely, um, you know, pretty hardcore trader, you know, um, he he, know, he knows values and you know he knows what he's looking for and you know he doesn't you know uh, he he's you know he's always looking to make sure that he's he's getting what he wants out of the trade. You know I mean he's not unreasonable. But is this you somebody know. you know or you, you guys have traded with or anything? No, I mean I just happened to trade with him yesterday. I mean he's you know he's he's pleasant enough to talk to. You know I mean okay. just you know he's not somebody that you know you would you would say you know oh that guy doesn't know what he's doing. You know it's like 
Yeah, yeah, he knows how to trade, and you get you know you basically get a, a fair a fair fair deal out of it. You know, okay. nobody's really getting ahead. Right, so um, he had a collection of about ninety dual lands. Um, in his bag, that was and the being thrown around. That's the number that's been tossed around, and uh, one of them was mine that I had traded him mm-hmm. um, like about an hour before this happened, um, and he was outside of the event, and a gentleman—I wouldn't call this guy a gentleman—some jerk grabbed his bag and just bolted. Is ran. That what happened? Yeah. Because what I, what I heard is they were trading. Like he asked the guy to trade. Like the, this, he he asked them to trade, and then. In the middle of the trading, he grabbed the stuff and ran. That might be, but they were doing it out here, yeah, from yeah, what yeah. I heard. Well, well, yeah, I think it was out here, and they might have been on the floor. Like, they might have actually sat down or something. But uh, I, I don't know. Like, somebody, I've heard the story now a couple times from different people. Okay. It got to the point where uh, the guy had a bazooka and a jetpack and jumped off the roof. But that was obviously hyperbole. Um, <laughs> so, no, they were just saying that. The guy, the guy came up and said, "Hey, do you want to trade?" And, and whatever it was, while they were trading, he uh, he picked up the guy's stuff. I don't, I don't know if he just grabbed a binder or a bag or what. I got the impression before you just said it that it was just a binder that the guy had his stuff in. Because of it course, was, when it was you're a trading, binder bag, I think it had a strap on it. Like you okay, so and when you're trading too, you like you put your binder in their hands and they give you. There, so I don't know if he was able to grab his own binder. His binder apparently had nothing good in it. Right, so it, he left it. Is what you're saying? Probably, probably. I don't know exactly. I don't know the story, okay. but I'm sure that the binder was basically a prop. But yeah, so this and this is what I was saying a little while ago was, you know, you're at these events and it's kind of second nature, at least to me, to just make sure I always have my bag on me, or you know, I've even gone so far as to like clip it to my chair, um, just so that if I'm doing something like playing, even playing in a match, um, it's tougher to get it away from me because it's like around my leg or on the chair. But when you're trading with somebody, you give them your binder to look through. And, uh, you know, you trade with all kinds of people, and there can be people that just have, like, a bunch of junk. We've all traded with somebody who just had didn't have much in their binder. So how, like, almost easy is it for somebody to just fill up a binder with a bunch of crap rares and, and go around trying to trade until you find somebody that has a whole bunch of really good stuff, you know? And then you just have the binder that's in your hands already. You don't need to reach or anything. It's just in, it's already in your hands, and you just run. You know what I mean? If you're just walking around with, like, a small binder and then no bag or anything, and you're just like, hey, you want to trade? You can just bolt with the binder, and that's kind of what it sounds like this guy did. And it also sounds like he had a car outside because somebody chased him or people chased him, and there was a car waiting for him outside for him to jump into and ride away. It was like it was planned. Well, I, I mean, I don't, I, don't think it's, I don't think it's a stretch to say that, that this was intentional and planned and targeted. I mean, it's, it's, been, it's something that's gone on for years. You know, um, anything that's... That's valuable, pocketable, and small can be stolen easily, and mm-hmm. especially when there's a whole secondary market. Basically, there's you know it's it's almost. I mean, it's not black market. You can just take cards and put them on eBay and list them and sell them. I mean, yeah. and there's nothing really particularly identifying about individual cards unless they're you know altered or something marked in some way. And if they're marked in some way that makes them you know distinguishingly unique, usually they're not as valuable. You know, the game's incentivized around keeping cards to be more valuable. Um, you know, I mean, there you know there's been. Grand Prix, you know, thefts at Pro Tours. I mean, it's not just, not just any, um, you know, random event. So, as far as this theft kind of thing is concerned, it's obvious you want to really keep an eye on your stuff. But in this case, even doing that wasn't really enough. I mean, uh, so 
I think one important thing to take away from it is to maybe not have all your eggs in one basket, you know, not have tons of good stuff, and maybe you shouldn't be carrying around 90 dual lands, you know, in your binder to make as to make it so attractive for a thief. Um, you know, it's 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 way easier to hold onto your bag than to hold onto a binder that you're handing over to people. So, you know, if you're going to carry around that much stuff. I would suggest putting it in separate binders so that at least you can say, here, take this binder, and if you get something stolen, if a binder is stolen in a way similar to this, you still have your other binder or binders. Well, this is... I, I, just, I just want to interject. It's important, you know, that putting all of your cards in one binder, you know, it's not, it's not anybody's fault that their things get stolen. Oh, no, no. You know, just... I mean, you can be absent-minded and things can, you know, you, you leave stuff behind. I mean, you think everybody's lost money because they left it somewhere they shouldn't have. You know, hmm. I mean, we all forget stuff as kids, you know. Um... But you know that that there's there's really no sure way to insulate yourself against theft because people can bring weapons. But um, you know that that there's no one way to insulate yourself against theft, and really the the only thing that we can do as as individual players is to help watch out for other people and to be mindful and and um, try to look out for other people because you know that's the only thing we can do is try to if we know that we're helping other people and being honest and and trying to keep them aware. Of, of what's going on and, and mindful of who's around, you know, that, that hopefully you know, other people are looking out for us, too. I have to say that um, John Medina's articles about trading mm-hmm. um, suggest, and I've followed his suggestions, to put just one copy of each card that you have for trade in a binder and put the other copies in penny sleeves in a box in your bag. Mm-hmm. And that prevents things like that from happening. When... So, like, if someone were to run off with my binder, you they would get one Primeval Titan and one Vengevine, and I would still have three and six. You know what I mean? So, like, <laughs> so like you know, that way I'm not losing all that all that value. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They would get my only Jace, but they wouldn't get both my Underground Seas. You know what I mean? Like, right. So, like, that's kind of... It's just a way to, to offset the, the damage and, uh, and just ideas of, of ways to do it if something like that were to happen to you. That's all. All right, so as always, we, uh, we thank you, Adam, for being on the show, for being a returning guest. We always like to have you on. Um, and, uh, and Adam will be a guest once again next week. Yeah, um, I'll, be, um, I'll be at the, the Big Dream Wizard show. It'll be at, uh, I think, University of Maryland, uh, University College up in, up in Baltimore, University of Maryland, Baltimore College, one of the, something like that. You UMBC. To, UMBC, there we go. And um, I'll be there all day Saturday, um, you know, gunslinging, EDH, you know, whatever you guys, uh, you know, want to bring or gals, you know, I'd love to, love to see everybody. It's, it's going to be a great time. And then uh, Sunday I'm going to swing by Amazing Spiral, the store where Joe will be having the pre-release and, uh, you know, ha- playing some more magic there. It'll be, a, it'll be a really great weekend. And uh, whether it's a big one or a small one, I hope to see uh, everybody in the area out there. Cool. Thanks, Adam. All right, I'm here with Hannah Murray, who has uh, has been in the same spot all weekend, altering cards. And um, I uh, I've never been one to really take to altered cards too much. I, I think they're they're pretty neat. I've seen some cool ones, but um, Hannah had some some really uh, awesome looking cards out on the table, and so it caught my eye, caught my attention. And all weekend she's been kind of nonstop working on cards, and uh, I just thought I'd ask her a couple questions about how she got into this. So uh, thanks for being on the, on the podcast, Hannah. Thank you for having me. No problem. Um, so how long have you actually been doing this? Um, a few months. I've been painting forever, but I've only been doing cards for a few months. 
Right, and that's the painting forever. I think is the is the very relevant part yeah. of that. Right? <laughs> like, oh, I, I have never picked up a paintbrush. A couple months ago, yeah. I was doing some paint by numbers and thought, how oh, about I alter some magic cards, some eighty dollar Jace the Mind sculptors or something. So, um, speaking of Jace, that's been a popular one this weekend anyway. So, uh, yeah, I think I've done ten Jaces in the past two days, full art and just regular extension, including one of mine actually. Yes. The first altered card I'd ever. Uh, ever bought but uh or, or or i paid her to alter it so uh it turned out really well and um you did a foil jace too and, and that turned out yeah i did a foil jace for someone um it was the first time i'd ever painted on a foil and it turned out really well so <laughs> i was a little nervous though yeah i think if somebody gives you a foil jace and says hey paint on this i mean what are you supposed to do like go ahead mess it up isn't that what he said yeah like, he was like he was like oh if you mess it up it's no big deal i'm just like really <laughs> So I guess what got you started, or what what got you started on in altering cards? Well, I didn't even really know what magic was about a year ago, and I started dating someone who uh, plays a lot of Legacy, and he was showing me online one day all the art altars on uh, the source, and I was like, oh, I can probably do that, and I started doing it, and people really like it, <laughs> so that's pretty much where it started. And, and I guess when was that? Uh, Three months ago. <laughs> wow, that's impressive. I mean, uh, judging from the work you've done, I mean, I guess, like like I said, the the relevant part was that you've been painting forever, and I think that uh, you know, looking at the job, you know, how good these cards look, um, it doesn't look like you've just been doing it for a couple of months. Yeah. So I I mean, it's just basically the same thing, except on a much smaller scale. And I I've always loved little tiny detail work. Like even when I painted on canvases, I would do little tiny detail work. So it's really perfect for me. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really impressive work, and um, I'm going to have a picture of, of the Jace that you did um, for me, and also a Fauna Shaman. Um, that's another one that looks really good, and um, I think part of what we were saying earlier was whatever card you're doing, it's almost like, I'm like, oh, I want, I want you to do that now. I want, I'm going to pull out a Fauna Shaman now, because <laughs> it's just, it looks so good. Um, that's, uh, that's what happened to me when I went to the Grand Prix in Columbus. I had started doing a set of Wastelands, and which take a long time. Each car, I, They take like up to three hours for each Wasteland. And I, I started doing them, and they turned out so well. Everyone who walked by said, can you do my Wasteland? So I ended up doing so many Wastelands in the two days. It drove me crazy. Couldn't even look at them for a while. <laughs> yeah. So what are some of your like favorite cards that you've done? Um, I really do like Fauna Shaman, which is one of my favorite. Um, Bane Slayers are also really fun to work on. And uh, Hymn to Torak was a really good one. It's just a million little detail things, so I really enjoyed doing that. I did my first one today. Oh, and that was one that you really liked just because of the detail? Yeah. Uh, that's what I was going to say. Is like, What exactly is it like, that makes a card your one of your favorites? Is it more detail, more work? or is it? I mean, because Jace... Is is actually what you were telling me it's kind of a lot simpler because it's kind of just hazy background. There's right, not a lot of yeah. sharp detail. Yeah, it doesn't take very long to do Jaces. I yeah, I prefer all the little tiny detail work, but it's when you have to do like four of you know when you have to do a playset of mm-hmm. little tiny detail work, it kind of drives you crazy after a while. I prefer doing like one ofs. <laughs> right, uh, that makes sense. I mean, it's also good to have some kind of variety. So even if you could somehow stagger the the play sets oh, it yeah. might might yeah, like help mix them up <laughs> right 
I, guess. I enjoy it though. It's yeah. uh, it's the best job I've ever had. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and you were telling me you actually you you quit your job and this is what you're doing. Yeah, now. yeah, full full time. I mean, other than going to school, full time is what I, it's what I do. <laughs> That's really impressive. So yeah, if anybody wants to see some of the work that you've done, I'm going to post what I have uh, pictures of, and I might actually take a couple more shots of some of your stuff. You have a binder, right? Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks for uh, for being. You know, for giving us a couple of minutes, and if uh, if anybody is actually interested in getting some altars done by Hannah, you can contact us at yomtgtaps at gmail dot com, and uh, and we'll forward along your information. So thanks again, Hannah. Thank you very much for having me. No problem. Yomtg Taps is available every Friday on StarCityGames.com. Visit our website. I want my mtg.com for past episodes, t-shirts, free stickers, and more. You can contact us at yomtgtaps at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at yomtgtaps. Stir in the pot. Just stir the pot to the microphone. It's everywhere. It's like binaural kind of... The Pearl Jam album. Exactly. But they, they recorded it with, like, speakers in a mannequin's ear. There were microphones in a man- mannequin's ears. And then played around it so that it would be, like, recorded, like, like if you so were cool. standing where the mannequin was standing. Pretty interesting uh, idea. So that's kind of what Joe is... I don't know where I... That the, it's not there's no mannequin here, but uh, <laughs> which I, I don't know. Joe was just waving around the microphone because everybody was talking. He didn't know where to point it. It's kind of funny. Just turn it upside down. Yeah. That's a Spin Doctors album, but um, I only know "Pocket Full of Kryptonite," which I got for my thirteenth birthday. <laughs> turn it, turn it upside down. Had Cleopatra's cat on it. Okay, I know that. I only know I only know that one song that they play on Mix One Hundred Six Point Five when they used probably? to play. Yeah, it's called. Isn't Two that princes? the best mix of the seventies, eighties, and nineties of <laughs> and today? today. <laughs> Plugging Baltimore radio stations on a worldwide podcast. Worldwide, don't forget it. I have a very limited perspective of the world. <laughs> America is the world. I thought. Um, Morrissey. Or no, is that is it Morrissey? Okay. Morrissey, that's right. That was an audible high five on the podcast. <laughs> is that nice. the band with the guitarist from Modest Mouse? <laughs> it is. All right, er- Eric's officially uh, <laughs> on the band list. Kicked out. <laughs> Sorry, I just first of all, every first of all, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it made me mad. I, I was angry. It's like first of all, Johnny Marr was not in Morrissey's band. He was in the Smiths. And second of all, no. <laughs> Patrick Chapin is a recent Smiths fan. Did you see on Twitter? Oh, really? Uh, uh, Mike Flores tweeted, this is Zoe Deschanel uh, covering the Smiths. And it was a YouTube video, and uh, Chapin wrote, thank you for sharing that song. He goes, please, please, please let me get what I want. Whoa, really? He was like, covered I, by her? Covered by her. And it's from the 500 Days of Summer soundtrack. Oh, and, so uh, and Chapin was like, thank you for sharing that. You know, I, I, that's a new song to me. Like, I thought that was pretty funny. Now that to, we're on the topic of the Smiths, I had to, to bring fair, it back to Magic, right? He went from, from uh, writing an article title a couple years ago about, uh, in reference to Katy Perry and then the next musical reference he makes is the girl who looks exactly like Katy Perry. Who's Zoe Deschanel? Yep. It's a type. It's a type. It is. I, uh, Katy Perry's hot, but I like Zoe Deschanel. <laughs> but, is she, but is she next level hot? <laughs> we have to, have to ask Patrick Chapin about that. He's the authority on next level. Well, him and, him and Kibler. Yeah. So, uh, 
I don't know. I think Zoe Deschanel ranks above Katy Perry for me, but I think that's. I, I wouldn't. There's I certain, wouldn't scoff at second place. There. there are certain anatomical aspects of Katy Perry that puts her above Zoe Deschanel for me. Like I think having you know, a relationship with like, him. Because I, like I, I would rather. I, like I need some earmuffs right now. For those of you who can't <laughs> see Connor, he's twelve. <laughs> <laughs> He's not 12. <laughs> 12 and a half. <laughs> 12 and three quarters. I'll be, I'll be 13 in two and a half months. I want a box of scars for my birthday. <laughs>